right, everybody, welcome to the final recording on reading and evaluating the DeMond brothers. They have another book that we will probably go over sometime in the future regarding their crass Feniism, which is condemned by their own church, the Roman Catholic Church. But we are going to finish up their book tonight, and we are going to answer a question that has been in the description of every single upload. What do you do when your denomination abandons you? But before we get to that, let's read this uh, brief chapter. Some facts about Martin Luther, the originator of Protestant quote-unquote Christianity. Oh boy, how much do you want to bet that this is going to be no different than the weird stuff you hear Rad Trad saying online about Martin Luther? I'm willing to bet a lot, really. But let's hear them out. Protestantism originated with Martin Luther, an ex-Catholic. No, it didn't. No, it did not. <laughs> Protesting the uh, corrupt ruling religious authorities is something that goes back all the way to the Old Testament prophets who are willing to get in priests' faces and yell at them, Amos being a great example of that. But by all means, I guess what you call quote-unquote Protestantism today might be established by Martin Luther if we're looking at um, hackneyed categorical statements, sure. But they continue. Even though Protestants would contend that they follow true biblical Christianity and not a man, they are inclined to defend Martin Luther. This is because Martin Luther was the first identifiable spokesman for their version of Christianity. Also, no love for uh, Jan Hus, I see. <laughs> no love for Clement of Rome, who said quite a bit of Protestant things. Uh, no love for Bernard of Clairvaux, who believed in sola fide. No love for any of that other stuff. Uh -uh. No love for William of Ockham, who protested the ruling authorities in the Catholic Church. Oh no, 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 no. It's all got to be back to old Doc Martin. I'll tell you the reason why they're going to fixate on him, and they'll never admit it. Martin Luther was the last real, capital T, theologian. He really was. All of theology since Martin Luther died has been either a commentary on Luther or a disagreement with him. All of it goes back to that. It doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. It doesn't matter what your theologians say. It all comes back to Luther. And it's kind of like how all of philosophy at this point is a commentary on Plato. People either trying to distance themselves from what Plato said or trying to embrace what he said or trying to maybe put their own spin on it. That's what Luther is to modern Christianity. He has been the dividing line for 500 years now. Christ said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And so he sent Martin Luther to be the guy that kept the church from falling to the gates of hell. And so, everything from that point onward has been whether or not you agree with Luther on any particular doctrine. He's the last theologian to actually say something. 
and I don't care who you are a fanboy of, that is simply historically the case. Everything after Luther is a commentary on or a disagreement of whatever it was he said on any given topic. But we continue with what Brother Peter DeMond says. Prior to his separation from the Catholic Church in 1520, there was no public defender of what we now know to be Protestantism, the core doctrines of which are justification by faith alone and scripture alone. Even though Luther is the central figure in the history of Protestantism, few Protestants know much about him or how he came upon his beliefs. I invite the reader to consider the following facts. Now, before we get to that, here is the shell game that we can reasonably predict they're going to play. First, they're going to say, look at how Catholic Martin Luther was. You should be a Catholic. Then they're going to say, look at all these quotes we pulled out of context or out of the table talk, and look at how heinous they all are. You should stop being a Protestant. Luther is good whenever he agrees with something that sounds Catholic-y, Luther is very bad when he says something very Protestant-y, so they're going to say, you should become a Catholic. Of course, their particular brand of Roman Catholicism, uh, not modern Roman Catholicism, by, by no means would they want that. Let's see here. Please consider Martin Luther's truly man-made journey to Protestantism. Martin Luther was born in 1483 and baptized as a Catholic the next day. Dang. He entered an Augustinian Catholic friary in 1505. Dang. And was ordained a Catholic priest in 1507. Dang. Therefore, as a young professing Catholic priest, Dang. Protestantism was unknown to Martin Luther and indeed to the rest of the Christian world. Ding. Okay. Thus far I am vindicated. Let's keep going. On October 31st, 1517, Luther tacked his famous 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg. Most Protestants today cite this date as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. They think this represented Luther's public stand for the Protestant faith for, quote, true and biblical Christianity. What they don't know is that Martin Luther's famous 95 Theses acknowledged the office of the Pope more than 20 times. Alright, let's uh let's give 20 dings here. Ding 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 ding. At the time of posting of the theses, and indeed before it and for some time afterwards, Luther claimed to be a Catholic priest and monk. Dang. In his 95 Theses, Luther clearly acknowledges the office of the Pope as instituted by Christ. Dang, although he detracts from its dignity and powers in the matter of indulgences. Okay, I remain vindicated. Here they are saying, oh, look at how Catholic Luther was. Oh my goodness, he, he recognized the office of the Pope when he posted the 95 Theses. You should be a Catholic, is the implication here. Don't you want to be like Luther? In addition to acknowledging the Pope, Numbers 25 through 29 of the Theses acknowledge purgatory. Ding, 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 ding. 
Luther acknowledges the existence of purgatory, dang, although he departs from Catholic teaching in what he says about it. Boo. Luther also declares his belief in indulgences, dang, although he contradicts traditional Catholic doctrine on the issue. The following is typical of the contradictions exhibited by Luther. Quote from number 71. Let him be anathema and accursed who denies the apostolic character of the indulgences. Ding. The point here is that even on October 31st, 1517, the Protestant quote-unquote faith was still unknown to Martin Luther and indeed to the rest of the Christian world. Ding. There was no statement about justification by faith alone or scripture alone. There was as yet no repudiation of the papal office or many other Catholic dogmas which Protestants today would reject. Ding, ding, ding. What you have at this point is a confused and convoluted priest, while claiming to be Catholic, was clearly falling from the traditional Catholic faith into his own wild version of it, especially with regard to indulgences. Boo. He was no Protestant. Even at this point, the so-called biblical quote-unquote faith was unknown to its eventual founder. Ding. Now, of course, uh, when it comes to Luther's sermon in 1518, a sermon on indulgences and grace, <laughs> the DeMond brothers try to backtrack a little bit, right? Uh, they say that, well, Luther didn't see contrition, confession, and satisfaction in the scriptures, but, um, you know, there were abuses. They say, uh, it should be noted that there were indeed some abuses by churchmen on indulgences. Such abuses represented a departure from Catholic teaching on the matter. Indulgences cannot be bought. Occasional abuses in this area, which were committed by a few churchmen of a worldwide church, in no way justify repudiating the traditional teaching. Of course, this is like the understatement of the century because the Roman Catholic Church was trying to fund the construction of St. Peter's Basilica with indulgences. It wasn't a few churchmen. Of course, they're going to lie about that. But, <laughs> you know, they, they want to cover up their church's crass simony with this. But continuing on. At the beginning of July 1518, Luther is presented with an official summons to appear in Rome and give an accounting of his doctrines, while maintaining his new, and heretical, views on indulgences and penance. Luther claims that, quote, the Roman Church has always maintained the true faith and that it is necessary for all Christians to, to be in unity of faith with her. Ding and ding. That means that even after having been summoned to Rome to answer for his new ideas, Luther professes that the Roman Church, parentheses, the Roman Catholic Church, has the true faith. Dang. At this point, Luther is undoubtedly drifting into his own personalized view of quote-unquote Christianity, but he is still no Protestant. Dang as his statement about the Roman Church demonstrates. Ding. <sighs> as Luther's influence spread and his commitment to new ideas hardened, the actions against him increased. 
Pope Leo dispatched the learned Cardinal Cajetan to handle the case. Cajetan was to examine the situation and, if possible, get through to Luther. The new ideas, Luther declared the following at one of these interviews. The notary read out a declaration on behalf of Luther that, as far as he could remember, he, Luther, had never taught anything against Holy Scripture, the doctrines of the Church, the papal decretals, decrees of the Pope, or sound reason. But as he was a man subject to error, he submitted himself to the decisions of the Holy Church and to all who knew better than he did. From Dr. Ludwig Pastor, History of the Popes, truly a uh, very, very unbiased source, I'm sure. Once again, we see that Luther claims fidelity to papal teaching, ding, and to all of Catholic doctrine, ding. He also appeals specifically to the Pope, dang, and expresses his willingness to retract if the Pope decided against him, dang. The so-called biblical faith, Protestantism, was still unknown to its eventual founder, dang. <sighs> Not long after his meetings with Cajetan in November of 1518, Luther's views underwent another significant development. He came to the conclusion that the Pope, to whose decrees he had just claimed submission, is the Antichrist. He writes, I send you my trifling work that you may see whether I am not right in supposing that, according to Paul, the real Antichrist holds sway over the Roman court. But numerous utterances from this time shows that Luther had fully formulated his proposition that the Pope was Antichrist. Yep, that is official Lutheran doctrine. The office of the papacy is the office of Antichrist. Seethe more, I guess. <laughs> Especially these guys who are set of a contest. Like, they should be coming to that conclusion. Anyway. Yet at this very time that he was calling the Pope the Antichrist, Luther appealed to a general council from the Pope. Dang. In other words, Luther considered the decisions of general councils to be definitive and authoritative. Dang. This, of course, contradicts one of the pillars of Protestantism, Scripture alone. Dang and dumb. That's not what Luther was trying to do, but whatever. <laughs> Remember this time that Luther was a doctor of the church, right? He is well established as a professor where he is teaching from. He is not just some dude out there groveling before the Pope going, May I pretty please have a council? I would love to have a council because I don't believe in Bible alone. No, he was trying to get the entirety of the church to be reformed according to the doctrine of the word at this time. But either way, either way. Therefore, even at the point that Luther had firmly set his face against the papacy as the Antichrist, he still hadn't discovered Protestantism. Dang. The so-called biblical faith was still unknown to its eventual founder. One should consider this fact deeply, for it demonstrates that whenever Luther did come up with Protestantism, it was nothing more than the creation of a confused mind. Really? Really? He was just he was just a confused boy? Hmm. Now, of course, they can't stay there. 
right? Because if they stay with, wow, Luther was really Catholic, us Protestants might go, wow, so the Catholic Church should have listened to him because he was an earnest reformer. Just like uh, Pope Francis said, right? <laughs> well, they're, they're going to have to change their tune, as I have predicted. These facts demonstrate that all Protestants have embraced a purely man-made religion, which Luther was inventing and reinventing by the day. Development of thought is not reinvention. It really isn't, but they, they gotta make you think that so that you feel like you're on shaky ground. The true faith of Jesus Christ is a deposit. Yeah, y'all do believe that Jesus Christ is just a deposit, a down payment on salvation. I get that, Mr. DeMond. You really want that to shine through and cut to the heart. It does not fall out of the sky to a man who lives 15 centuries after Christ. It was revealed by Jesus Christ to his apostles 2,000 years ago, and it was passed on by the apostles to the church. Hmm. So, about that, of course, they're going to quote Jude 1.3, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You mean the faith delivered by the Bible? That, that faith? The faith that we believe in because we read our Bibles? Hmm. Yeah, they're not going to pay attention to that problem. But they'll say, the true faith thus has a historical link to the apostolic church, and it can be shown to have been believed by those who came before in the church. It is passed on from generation to generation. Martin Luther grew up with the Catholic faith. Dang. Protestantism was unknown to him as a child. It was unknown to him as a priest. It was unknown to him when he posted his 95 theses and even when he first called the Pope the Antichrist and was appealing to a general council. Ding, 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 ding. At some point indeed, Martin Luther came up with Protestantism and his conclusions had no link with his predecessors or even with what he had said or believed before. They were truly the inventions and discoveries of a man, Martin Luther. Boo! It doesn't mean you're supposed to put your thumbs down like an idiot and go, Boo! It is the faith once for all delivered to the saints, so boo, Martin Luther! See? Told you guys. Told you they were going to play this little shell game. You should support Martin Luther when he's Catholic, but then reject all of Lutheranism and Protestantism when he's not sounding Catholic. <laughs> so now we get to the whole slandering, taking out of context, all that fun stuff that they love to do. For instance, they say, these discoveries include the idea that man is justified by faith alone, which word for word contradicts the teaching of the Bible, James 2.24, a contradiction so blatant that Luther felt compelled to criticize the book of James because it contradicted him. If you really think that about Luther... You haven't read Luther. You read the statement epistle of Straw, and you didn't read his later sermons on the book of James, which occurred during the later years of his life. And then you're ignoring the fact that he translated the book of James and included it in the German Bible, which means, he says, it's part of the Bible. It's the inspired word of God. But of course, they're also going to ignore that that same beloved Cardinal Cajatan 
also did similar things where it sounded like Cahatan was insulting books of scripture as he's trying to wrestle with the canonicity of various books of scripture. But they won't, they won't do that because now it's time for you to point your thumb down like an idiot and say, Boo, Luther. Ooh. In fact, Luther wanted to throw James out of the Bible and into the stove, i.e. the fire, until his friends persuaded him that such a move would be too radical. Never happened. Then they go to this whole section here outrageous actions and quotes of Martin Luther. He criticizes the book of James. <gasps> How dare somebody wrestle with text like every other theologian before Luther did. Martin Luther in the preface to the New Testament, 1522. Therefore, St. James' epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to these others, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Yep, he said that. I explained it. Whatever. Here we see the apostate priest Martin Luther denigrating the book of James because it contradicts his new idea of justification by faith alone. So again, this is where you're supposed to go, Boo! Ooh, he's such a meanie face. And they include a quote from Luther from 1542. That epistle of James gives us much trouble, for the papists embrace it alone and leave out all the rest. Hashtag true. Up to this point, I've been accustomed just to deal with and interpret it according to the sense of the rest of the scriptures, for you will judge that none of it must be set forth contrary to manifest holy scripture. Also true, don't proof text with a single verse to get all of your Roman Catholic soteriology. Accordingly, if they will not admit my interpretation, then I shall make rubble also of it. I almost feel like throwing Jimmy into the stove as the priest in Kallenberg did. Yep. Luther is a polemicist, and he's talking about the Roman Catholic habit of twisting James 2.24 to say something that James isn't saying, especially because St. James proclaims sola fide in James chapter 1. But, of course, they want to say, Martin Luther even added the word alone to Romans 3.28 in his German translation of the Bible. He made it say faith alone when that is not in the text or what it means. They won't say that other Bible translators did the exact same thing. Roman Catholic Bible translators said the exact same thing. This is nothing new, but this is the part where you're supposed to be mad at Luther and shocked and scandalized. But of course, the DeMond brothers think themselves smart, so they're going to go into the other scandalous quotes or outrageous things scaling it up more and more so you get more and more angry. Because maybe you, dear Protestant, have heard before these uh, accusations about Luther regarding St. James's epistle and regarding faith alone in Romans 3.28, right? Maybe you've heard that before. But have you heard what he said about sin? <gasps> Martin Luther said a man could commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day and not lose his justification. Martin Luther also said that a man could commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day and would not lose his justification. Yes, I kid you not, they really do to, uh, repeat themselves. He said this to express his doctrine of justification by faith alone. That is, no matter how much a person sins, he is still saved as long as he believes by faith alone. In the same context, he declared, be a sinner and sin boldly. 
the authenticity of these quotes is not disputed, but openly admitted by Protestant defenders of Luther. So Luther's letter to Melanchthon, August 1st, 1521, If you are a preacher of grace, then preach a true and not a fictitious grace. If grace is true, you must bear a true and not a fictitious sin. God does not save people who are only fictitious sinners. Be a sinner and sin boldly, but believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. For he is victorious over sin, death, and the world. As long as we are here in this world, we have to sin. This life is not the dwelling place of righteousness, but as Peter says, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It is enough that by the riches of God's glory we have come to know the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. No sin will separate us from the Lamb, even though we commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day. Do you think that the purchase price that was paid for the redemption of our sins by so great a Lamb is too small? Pray boldly. You too are a mighty sinner. So here Luther is saying that the forgiveness of Christ is real. The grace of God and the mercy that he provides for us is true and real. This isn't Luther saying it's okay to sin, but the DeMond brothers want you to think that, so they've highlighted the, the money quotes, the, the meanie-sounding things in bold. Because that's all they want you to read. They hope that you're too stupid to read this and actually evaluate what Luther is really saying. And of course, they're not going to include the entirety of that letter because <laughs> maybe you'd, you'd learn something there. But again, this is the part where you're supposed to go, boo. So they say, as mentioned previously, the true faith is a deposit. It doesn't fall out of the sky for the first time to a man who lives 1,500 years after Christ. And it doesn't come from the abyss below, as Martin Luther's teachings on justification, fornication, and murder do. Oh, so now you're supposed to say Luther's a demon. Ooh, he's so evil and wicked. Here's the problem with that. Luther didn't just make stuff up 1,500 years after the birth of Christ. No, seriously, any student of Holy Scripture is going to find that, why, yes, a lot of the writings of the Old and New Testament say the same exact thing Luther is saying. Something the DeMond brothers miss in that letter to Melanchthon is that Luther is obliquely referring to direct Scripture quotations. That's why he talks about what Peter says. That's why he talks about what Christ says. They don't want you to think that. Again, because the DeMond brothers don't care about you being a Christian, they care about you being a follower of the DeMond brothers. But furthermore, no serious student of the church fathers is going to tell you that everything Luther said that sounds too Protestant is just made up. Seriously, look at the Book of Concord. It is drenched, positively drenched with quotations from the church fathers. Does that mean that all the church fathers were Lutheran? No, I wish they were, but we're all different. None of the church fathers categorically condemn everything Luther said. Plenty of them say things that sound quite a lot like Luther when Luther is speaking about law and gospel, when Luther is speaking about typology, when Luther is speaking about, say, the church being Israel. So no, he didn't just wake up one day and say, I am going to whole cloth make stuff up. 
The DeMond brothers are crassly lying to you when they claim that that's what Luther did, just making it up all willy-nilly, and the church had no idea about any of these teachings beforehand. They're just lying to you. And they're lying to you, oftentimes using source documents that actually exist. They're really bad at twisting these things because it's so easy to see right through it. But nonetheless, they're still twisting these things, right? So anyway, they talk about Luther's preoccupation with the devil and crude subjects. And here's where you're supposed to be like a shocked church lady. <laughs> Luther says the best tactic in dealing with the devil might be to, quote, Throw him into my anus where he belongs. <laughs> or when Luther called the papal decretals the devil's excretals. That's freaking hilarious. I don't care what they say. Do these guys have, like, no sense of humor? Are, are they that, like, super big-brained in their own minds that they can't laugh at Luther making poopy jokes? Come on. <laughs> they say, he admittedly had much interaction with the devil. Quote, these demons would haunt the imagination of Martin Luther, who had visions which he believed to be actual physical occurrences of the devil hurling excrement at him and his hurling it back. Indeed, in one of his many anal combats with the devil... <laughs> it's hard to even say fully. Indeed, in one of his many anal combats with the devil, in which Luther would challenge the devil to lick his posterior... Again, it was, throw him into my anus. That's freaking hilarious. Luther claims that he came up with justification by faith alone while on the toilet. He claims that it came as knowledge the Holy Spirit gave to me on the privy in the tower. Quoted by William Manchester, a world lit only by fire, the medieval mind in the Renaissance, which means that it is probably a garbage quote and not true at all, because they didn't look to Luther's actual sources. Luther's works are available, by the way. They've got 55 volumes, and there are still some that are untranslated. So these guys could just find what Luther actually said, control F on the PDFs from Concordia or something, and they could find out whether he really said that, but no, they, they got to go through a secondary source. And speaking of secondary sources, they go to his table talk. Luther's table talk, infamously, is not reliable as actual Luther quotes, because it's what other people said Luther said, not what Luther actually said in his correspondences and his books. But, they say, Luther's idea that people need to commit real and honest sins seems to have originated from a conversation with the devil. This is from Luther's table talk. And supposedly, Luther said, When I awoke last night, the devil came and wanted to debate with me. He rebuked and reproached me, arguing that I was a sinner. To this I replied, tell me something new, devil. I already know that perfectly well. I have committed many a solid and real sin. Indeed, there must be good, honest sins, not fabricated and invented ones. For God to forgive, for God's beloved Son's sake, who took all my sins upon him, so that now the sins I have committed are no longer mine, but belong to Christ. This wonderful gift of God I am not prepared to deny, but want to acknowledge and confess. So golly, even the probably was never said quote isn't that bad when you really read it. 
Yes, Jesus does forgive us all of our sins. Get wrecked, Petey. Like, this is just a fact. Jesus Christ died for your sins. I don't care how bad of a murderer you are or how bad of a fornicator you are. Jesus Christ paid for all of your sins with his blood. Not made up sins like, I didn't pay my indulgences. I didn't say 750 rosaries. No, not made up imaginary sins like that, Petey. Real sins. Luther's supposed quotation saying that to the devil is still pretty darn valid. Learn to theology, dork. But of course they conclude saying, with these facts in mind, it should be quite clear how those who followed Luther's eventual conclusions, the core of which are faith alone and scripture alone, are simply following the machinations, inventions, and discoveries of a man. They are following the inventions of a man who was guided and used by the devil to create a false version of Christianity which would lead countless people astray. It is so ironic hearing them say that, given that the entirety of their little denomination is nothing but that. It is nothing but the most holy family monastery using traditions of fallible humans and picking and choosing which ones they like to say that the RCC is apostate and they don't have to submit to the Pope because the chair of St. Peter is empty. And by the way, you know, this one Roman Catholic priest, Feeney, who was officially condemned by the Roman Catholic Church, he had the right ticket on Extra Ecclesiam Nulla Salus. They're believing men whom the Roman Catholic Church, before Vatican II, condemned. But they want to tell you that you listening to Luther, that's just one guy in his made-up stuff. You should have been smart like the DeMond brothers and had a whole big fat collection of made-up doctrines. Of course, discovered and invented by fallible men, probably controlled by the devil. Many of whom the Roman Catholic Church would say, yeah, their doctrines were pretty, pretty demonic. The DeMond brothers have... No capacity for self-awareness here. But I digress. We're on the last uh, page and a half here. 25,000 different non-Catholic denominations. Doctrinal chaos is the bad fruit of man-made religion. Uh-huh. Going back to David A. Barrett's World Christian Encyclopedia, the claim that there are 22,190 denominations by 1985. They did not distinguish between different church groups and fellowships and actual hard doctrinal agreements or disagreements. There's probably like eight different real Protestant sects, if you're being generous here. Yeah, Lutherans, Calvinists, Arminians, Anglicans, Baptists, and uh, Pentecostals. So that's six that I can come up with. And then you do have some weirdo hardcore ones. Dispensationalism, I would say, is its own denomination by this point. And then non-denominationalism. And of course, there's going to be little groups here that disagree on X, Y, or Z tiny point of doctrine. And some of them don't really formulate much doctrine on one thing or another. Okay. So what? That's not 22,190. <laughs> It's just not, and I don't care. 
let 22,190 flowers bloom, Mr. DeMond. That is better than having to say that the denomination that approves the fiducia supplicans from Rome is something I have to obey. It is better than saying that the people that can't get their story straight on whether capital punishment is allowable is something I have to believe in. Or, in your case, believing whether or not uh, the Pope is even the Pope. Right? I'd rather not pretend that we're a big happy family. I would rather say that the quote-unquote visible church, the united visible church, that baby's gone. That thing is dead. We are in a place of absolute chaos with mass apostasy right now, and everybody had better emphasize their relationship with Christ himself because they're not going to get salvation from an institution, you filthy idolaters. But then, of course, they, they bring up, of course, of course, how old is your church? If you're Lutheran, uh, well, 500 years ago, approximately 1520. A church of England, yeah, 1534 from Henry VIII, because, you know, he, he wanted a divorce. Mennonite, Menno Simons, 1536 Presbyterian, John Knox from 1560. Congregationalist, Robert Brown in Holland, 1582. Baptist, John Smith, 1605. Dutch Reformed, 1628. Quaker, which I wouldn't call Protestant. Quakers are a semi-cult, but 1652. Episcopalianism, Samuel Seabury in America in the 17th century. Amish, again, not Protestantism, that's pretty much a cult. 1693, Methodist, Wesley, 1744, Unitarian, not even Christian, but 1774. Mormonism, they, they say Mormonism, not Protestant. Freaks? Even a Catholic would tell you, a real Catholic would tell you, yeah, Mormons aren't Protestants, they are a cult. Seventh-day Adventist, same thing. Salvation Army? William Booth, 1865. What are you talking about? Jehovah's Witnesses? Another cult. Christian Scientist? Mary Baker Eddy? That's another cult. Oh my goodness, if this comes into the 22,190 number that they brought up, oh my goodness gracious, is that deceitful. But anyway, uh, Church of the Nazarene, Pentecostal Gospel, Holiness Church, Pilgrim Holiness Church, Assemblies of God, United Church of Christ, or, quote-unquote, one of the thousands of new sects founded by men in the last century. Last century. If you are Catholic, you know that your religion was founded in the year 33 by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, true God and true man, and that this one church to which people must belong to be saved will exist until the end of time. And then they ask you for donations. Thus ends the terrible book entitled, the Bible proves the teachings of the Catholic Church by, quote-unquote, Peter DeMond, who rejects the Roman Catholic Church in favor of his set of a contest, hypersect. So, having gone through this now for 16 separate recordings, let's answer the question that the DeMond brothers failed. They failed the test. They failed the quiz. And oh boy, did they. But they're not alone. The question is, what do you do when your denomination abandons you? What do you do when your church 
hates you? What do you do when it appears that they become apostate and start approving of crassly, evil things? Or at the very least, things that are in clear opposition to what your church has always taught. If we looked at the Roman Catholic Church's change of tune over the past 80, 90 years or so on so many different doctrines, you have to, well, you've got to twist yourself into a pretzel if you're going to hold to the infallibility of the magisterium and the apostolic deposit, as they call it. If you're going to claim that the Pope is infallible, but always only when he's ex-cathedra, and really the magisterium is infallible, but when they say things that are really hard to understand, we're just going to call it really hard to understand, you really got to be living in a state of denial if you don't think your church has stabbed you in the back. It's happening world over from Lutherans that started, you know, betraying scripture and doing unscriptural things like ordaining women and condemning sins that were invented in the 20th century, all the way to, well, doing what they're doing now, the Statement on Human Sexuality and the ELCA, the LCMS employing, well, seedy connections, and so on and so forth. The list goes on. The PCUSA for the Presbyterians did the same thing. The Methodists are doing the same things. The Baptists have a huge cohort of people that don't mind seeing your kid die in the desert for the sake of their eschatological fervor. Meanwhile, the Pope is blessing same-sex quote-unquote unions. He has said that state execution of criminals is wickedness now. They have embraced freedom of religion in various circumstances, whereas previously it was a big fat never. They have removed, according to the JDDJ, the anathemata pronounced upon us Protestants for proclaiming sola fide. There is a whole lot of weird betrayal going on in every single denomination. And you Orthodox... <laughs> smugly looking at us like <laughs> we've had no problems for 2000 years yeah sure pal sure um like you're the schismiest schism church that ever did schism and you want to tell me that you have no issues and no developments of doctrines ever that arise from that yeah okay pal join the rest of us Every single one of your autocephalous branches. This is happening all over Christendom as we get used to the great apostasy. So what is the answer to what do you do if your denomination abandons you? For a few people, the answer is very simple. If you have a good individual congregation, if you have a good pastor who's not teaching these things and who is not actively trying to betray his laity, just stay there, right? Nothing wrong with that. If you're going to a good church where you're getting the word of God, you're receiving the sacraments rightly, that's a legit church. Stay there. That's not a big deal. Okay. There's another attempt that some people will make, and I believe is very fruitless in trying to reform these bodies. Look, guys, if you think you're going to retake your denomination, like that uh, redeemed Zoomer guy says, 
you're fooling yourself. Who removes the lampstand of an apostate church from Revelation? Christ does. Do you put it back? Can you make Jesus put it back? Can you make it a lampstand again? <laughs> no. Not by your power, anyway. Maybe God will pull off a miracle and save one of these apostate denominations. Maybe. And maybe you could work to that. I, I wouldn't say that that's going to be worth it. But mm, I've never seen, and I mean never seen, an apostate denomination return to the true faith. I have never seen them say we are going back to Holy Scripture and back to following it. I've seen breakaway groups leaving denominations to be faithful. I've seen that, but that's not reforming, that's not retaking, that is not recapturing faithfulness. So your options are, well, okay, I've got a good congregation with a good pastor, I'm going to stay there. And maybe if you really want to try reforming it and doing something as fruitless as Martin Luther's early attempts at reforming the church, <laughs> be my guest. My answer is, if your church hates you, leave. Set up a house church. Set up a new thing. Set up a catacomb synod house church. Because God knows you should not be deprived of word and sacrament simply because an institution betrayed you. This is most certainly true. You know, ultimately salvation comes from our Lord, our God, our Savior Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, not for pretty buildings, not for well-made icons. It is not an institution that saves you. Stop being so attached to it that you cannot leave or end up doing mental gymnastics to claim that you are still part of that institution. I don't care if they fraudulently excommunicated you. Who cares? If they're apostates, it was never going to be real anyway. If your church hates you, leave and set up a new one. Set up a house church. Set up an alternative. The DeMond brothers, their answer is obliquely related to that. They didn't set up a church. They set up a monastery. They set up a cult. They ended up creating a turd that was swirling ever deeper down the paths of, well, extremism for extremism's sake, claiming an authenticity that they themselves do not have. According to their own theology and their own ecclesiology, they used their autism powers and their philosophy and their logic to twist everything. And again, create a cult. They use their hatred and their anger at this betrayal that they're perceiving from the Roman Catholic Church as a casus belli to seethe until they are extinct. They are no different from the Qumran community. Anybody that wants to know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, we read and evaluated all of the available translated Dead Sea Scrolls. And you know what the Qumran community did? They set up a cult and they seethed until they were extinct. The DeMond brothers are a snapshot of that happening in process. And if you, dear listener, are in the position where you're thinking, if all these people were dead, I would be victorious. You're probably going down that same path. 
if you process the world by anger and bitching and moaning and complaining constantly about this institution that betrayed you, you are in the throes of Qumranism. You are in the grip of Demondism. You are falling into this habit that has plagued people for centuries, millennia in fact, for over 2,200 years, we have this history of people who start out as earnest believers with whatever denomination they were raised with or converted to and end up creating or joining a cult because they are mad at betrayals, because they're freaking out. They don't have the courage to do what Luther did. When Luther was falsely excommunicated by the Church of the Antichrist, you know what he did? He kept doing church, starting at first in dingy wooden buildings, starting with very few people. He just kept on keeping on. Because what was the church going to do? Kill him? Oh, well, he's going to heaven. He still rejoiced in Christ as his Savior, rather than operating with this idea that he was forever enraged. Now, of course, he still did polemics. He still laughed at the Pope and the Jews and everybody else that ever got in his way. The Anabaptists, the quote-unquote Zwickau prophets, everything. But Luther kept on keeping on with ministry. And he brought as many people as he could to continue doing that. If the DeMond brothers and whoever it was that founded the, quote, most holy family monastery, if they took that tack of saying, okay, well, you know what? The Pope and his buddies have done this, but we're going to go ahead and do our own thing now. We will continue on in ministry with house churches or with our own brick and mortar churches. We're going to split off from this apostate organization. Then, you know what? They'd be standing on much firmer ground. But instead, what are they doing? They're writing deceptive books called The Bible Proves the Doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church to get you, dear listener, to join a church that they hate because they can't let go. They can't let go of what has happened. And they would rather people go into this institution that they despise they never let go of their personal satisfaction at being correct. And this is honestly the, the same problem with the redeemed Zoomer guy. That he wants people to go into these churches where they're not going to receive proper word and sacrament. They're not going to receive good sermons or godly teaching. They're not going to have a humble teacher. They're going to have some office lady out there in vestments lecturing them for 20 to 40 minutes. It's nuts. I have a very simple thesis. If your church hates you, leave. If your church is apostate, leave. If your denomination stabs you in the back and betrays you and leaves everything that made it what it was, leave and keep doing church. What, do you think you owe these people anything? Do you think you really owe the pretty buildings and the nice institutions and the, the nice nuns with the, the wonderful habits? Do you think you owe this group anything? No, you don't. Maybe the institution, the denomination, before it was corrupted, did very nice things for you. Great, but there was a change of leadership, a change of staff. And like the ship of Theseus, it's not the same stinking boat. You can claim it is, but it's not. 
something happened to it, and you gotta move on. You just have to move on if you're not going to accept the direction that it's taking. Maybe someday in the future, if Christ decides to cleanse all of these institutions and finally bring things to the glory that they are supposed to be in before the eschaton, before his return, maybe you can return. But you don't have to while they are not giving right word and sacrament, particularly right word with made-up sins, with weird refugee resettlement programs, with juggling modern morality, with teaching the, the garbage crap that we found from Paul Tillich, who taught people how to subvert church bodies. In that meantime, just keep doing church. That's what we here at the Very Lutheran Project are all about. We help people set up house churches. We help people with a network of support. We train deacons and lay leaders so that they can be fully independent, edified, regenerate Christians. And that they can be trustworthy too in that process of change, of starting up a house church, a chapel, a brick and mortar church, whatever it is. You don't owe bad people the kind of allegiance that says, fine, I'm going to pay my tithes to you, or I'm going to write books defending you, where I lie about what the Bible says, and lie about history, and lie about the reformers, and lie about everything, as the DeMond brothers have done, in order to maybe, I don't know, scrape something off the top and get more people into their little cult. Seething and cope posting for the rest of your life, to the point where you are willing to mar and twist and distort and deceive to get people to agree with you for various insane reasons is an exercise in self-extinction. That is what the DeMond brothers are doing. In the next hundred years, unless Christ himself tarries in his return, nobody is going to know anything about the DeMond brothers. There will be no most holy family monastery and if it continues, if I'm wrong, and if it's still around, it's going to be small and most likely smaller than before. Because God doesn't bless people that are trying to be faithful to him through sin. God does not bless people when they set up groups for the sake of teaching people that Jesus didn't die for their sins. Then maybe at the best he was some sort of down payment to get them on the hamster wheel as Brother Peter DeMond insists. God is not going to bless when you bring in outside sources, non-Christian sources, in order to bolster your personal bone that you have to pick with various institutional authorities. God didn't bless the Qumran community as they insisted on race worship and worshiping other gods, as they insisted on killing every Gentile on planet Earth. God didn't bless it. They're gone. Gone. And God is not going to bless the Most Holy Family Monastery for bringing in the Feniite doctrine that denies the efficacy of the word as well as the efficacy of holy baptism. He's not going to honor and bless you bringing in whatever your political beliefs are from outside the faith and saying that that is the faith and didn't you know all of the the bible and tradition agrees with this and so now you have to believe it or else you're an evil apostate or whatever 
He's not going to bless it. And it's going to die. Don't be like the Demond brothers or the Qumran community or any of these other groups out there who decide that they're just angry enough to toss out infinity anathemas on everybody that disagrees with them on even the smallest point. People that hurl abuse at whoever decides to disagree with them for any reason whatsoever. Don't be like that. To the contrary, keep living. Your life is in Christ. Not in your denomination, not in your institution. Your life is hidden with Jesus Christ. Stay with him. Seek him. Say with the psalmist, I am yours. Save me and live independent of these idolatrous structures that have cropped up in the midst of the era of apostasy that we find ourselves in today. Now, I might come back to the DeMond brothers at some point, the same person that gave me uh, their book, The Bible Proved the Doctrines of the Catholic Church. They also gave me another book called Outside the Catholic Church There is Absolutely No Salvation, where they attempt to defend their Fenite doctrine. We might return to that soon, but we got big plans for other series coming in and I'm excited to start getting into that next week. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you in the one true faith given to us by the word of God in the books of Holy Scripture. Amen and Amen. <laughs>